0: SECTION 22 OF INCIDENTS OF TRAVEL IN CENTRAL AMERICA, CHIAPAS AND YUCATAN, VOLUME 1, BY JOHN LLOYD STEPHENS. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. RECORDING BY SUE ANDERSON. MY ARRIVAL WAS SOON KNOWN, AND NEXT MORNING I RECEIVED SEVERAL INVITATIONS TO THE HOUSES OF RESIDENCE, ONE FROM THE LADY OF DON Manuel DE AGUILA, but I was so well pleased with the convent that I was not disposed to leave it. As a matter of course, I soon became known to all the foreign residents, who, however, were but four, Messrs. Stiples and Squire, a German and an Englishman associated in business, Mr. Wallenstein, German, and the fourth was a countryman, Mr. Lawrence, from Middleton, Connecticut. All lived with Mr. Stiples, and i had immediately a general invitation to make his house my home san jose is i believe the only city that has grown up or even improved since the independence of central america under the spanish dominion cartago was the royal capital but on the breaking out of the revolution the fervour of patriotism was so hot that it was resolved to abolish this memorial of colonial servitude and establish the capital at san jose their local advantages are perhaps equal cartago is nearer the atlantic and san jose the pacific but they are only six leagues apart the buildings in san jose are all republican there is not one of any grandeur or architectural beauty and the churches are inferior to many erected by the spaniards in the smallest villages nevertheless it exhibited a development of resources and an appearance of business unusual in this lethargic country and there was one house in the plaza which showed that the owner had been abroad and had returned with his mind so liberalized as to adopt the improvements of other countries and build differently from the custom of his fathers and the taste of his neighbors my first visit of ceremony was to senor carrillo the jefe del estado the state of costa rica enjoyed at that time a degree of prosperity unequaled by any in the disjointed confederacy at a safe distance without wealth enough to excite cupidity and with a large tract of wilderness to protect it against the march of an invading army, it had escaped the tumults and wars which desolated and devastated the other states. And yet, but two years before, it had had its own revolution. A tumultuous soldiery entered the plaza, and shouting, "Abas de Aguila, Viva Carrillo, my friend Don Manuel was driven out by bayonets, and banished from the state, and Carrillo installed in his place. He appointed his father-in-law, a quiet, respectable old man, vice-chief, called the soldiery, officers, civil, and military into the plaza, and all went through the solemn farce of swearing fealty to the Constitution. The time fixed by the Constitution for holding new elections came, but they were not permitted to be held having tried this once and failed he does not mean to run the risk of another and probably he will hold on until he is turned out by the same force that put him in in the meantime he uses prudent precautions does not permit emigres nor revolutionists nor suspected persons from other states to enter his dominions has sealed up the press and imprisons or banishes, under pain of death if they return, all who speak loud against the government. He was about fifty, short and stout, plain but careful in his dress, and with an appearance of dogged resolution in his face. His house was republican enough, and had nothing to distinguish it from that of any other citizen. In one part his wife had a little store, and in the other was his office for government business it was not larger than the counting-room of a third-rate merchant and he had three clerks who at the moment of my entering were engaged writing while he with his coat off was looking over papers he had heard of my coming and welcomed me to costa rica though the law under which i came near being detained at the port was uppermost in my mind and, I am sure, was not forgotten by him. Neither of us referred to it. He inquired particularly about Guatemala, and though sympathizing in the policy of that state, had no good opinion of Carrera. He was uncompromising in his hostility to General Morazan and the federal government, and, in fact, it seemed to me that he was against any general government, and strongly impressed with the idea that costa rica could stand alone doubtless believing that the state or which is the same thing he himself could disperse the revenues better than any other authority indeed this is the rock on which all the politicians of central america split there is no such thing as national feeling every state would be an empire the officers of state cannot brook superiors. A chief of the state cannot brook a president. He had not sent deputies to the convention and did not intend to do so. He said that Costa Rica would remain neutral until the other states had settled their difficulties. He spoke with much interest of the improvement of the roads, particularly to the ports on the Atlantic and Pacific, and expressed great satisfaction at the project of the british government which i mentioned to him of sending steamboats to connect the west india islands with the american coast which by touching at the port of san juan could bring his secluded capital within eighteen or twenty days of new york in fact usurper and despot as he is Carrillo works hard for the good of the state and for $1,200 a year with perquisites, and leave to be his own paymaster. In the meantime, all who do not interfere with him are protected. A few who cannot submit to despotism talk of leaving the country, but the great mass are contented and the state prospers. As for myself, I admire him. In that country the alternative is a strong government or none at all. Throughout his state I felt a sense of personal security which I did not enjoy in any other. For the benefit of travelers may he live a thousand years. In the afternoon I dined with the foreign residents at the house of Mr. Stiples. This gentleman is an instance of the vicissitudes of fortune. He is a native of Hanover. At fifteen he left college and entered the Prussian army fought at Dresden and Leipzig, and at the Battle of Waterloo received a ball in his brain, from which, unfortunately, only within the month preceding, he had lost the use of an eye. Disabled for three years by his wound, on his recovery with three companions, he sailed for South America and entered the Peruvian army. Married a hija del Sol, daughter of the sun, turned merchant, and came to San Jose, where he was then living in a style of European hospitality. I shall lose all reputation as a sentimental traveller, but I cannot help mentioning honourably every man who gave me a good dinner, and with this determination I shall offend the reader but once more. Early the next morning, accompanied by my countryman Mr. Lawrence, and mounted on a noble mule lent me by mr stiples i set off for cartago we left the city by a long well-paved street and a little beyond the suburbs passed a neat coffee plantation which reminded me of a continental villa it was the property of a frenchman who died just as he completed it but his widow had provided another master for his house and father for his children on both sides were mountains, and in front was the great volcano of Cartago. The fields were cultivated with corn, plantains, and potatoes. The latter, though indigenous, and now scattered all over Europe, is no longer the food of the natives, and but rarely found in Spanish America. The Cartago potatoes are of good flavor, but not larger than a hickory nut, doubtless from the want of care in cultivating them we passed a campo santo a square enclosure of mud walls whitewashed and came to an indian village the first i had seen in costa rica and much better than any in the other states the houses being of tejas, more substantial and the inhabitants having clothes on halfway between san jose and cartago we reached the village of tres rios from this place the road was more broken without fences and the land but little cultivated entries have been found in the records of cartago dated in 1598 which show it to be the oldest city in central america coming from san jose its appearance was that of an ancient city the churches were large and imposing the houses had yard walls as high as themselves and its quiet was extraordinary we rode up a very long street without seeing a single person and the cross streets extending to a great distance both ways were desolate a single horseman crossing at some distance was an object to fix our attention the day before we had met at san jose dr brayley the only foreign resident in cartago who had promised to procure a guide and make arrangements for ascending the volcano of Cartago, And we found that, beside doing all that he had promised, he was himself prepared to go with us. While dinner was preparing, Mr. L. and I visited another countryman, Mr. Lovell, a gentleman whom I knew in New York. He had brought with him a newly married wife, a young lady from New York, whom to my surprise and with great pleasure i recognized as an acquaintance very slight it is true but the merest personal knowledge so far from home was almost enough to constitute an intimacy she had encountered many hardships and her home was indeed in a strange land but she bore all with the spirit of a woman who had given up all for one and was content with the exchange Their house was situated on one side of the plaza, commanding a view of the volcano almost from its base to its top, and, though one of the best in the place, the rent was only six dollars per month. Immediately after dinner we set out to ascend the volcano. It was necessary to sleep en route, and Mr. Lovell furnished me with a poncho from Mexico for a covering and a bear's skin from the Rocky Mountains for a bed. Passing down the principal street, we crossed in front of the cathedral and immediately began to ascend. Very soon we reached a height which commanded a view of a river, a village, and an extensive valley not visible from the plain below. The sides of the volcano are particularly favorable for cattle and while the plains below were unappropriated all the way up were portreros or pasture grounds and huts occupied by persons who had charge of the cattle our only anxiety was lest we should lose our way a few months before my companions had attempted to ascend with mr handy but by the ignorance of their guide got lost and after wandering the whole night on the sides of the volcano returned without reaching the top. As we ascended, the temperature became colder. I put on my poncho. Before we reached our stopping place, my teeth were chattering, and before dismounting, I had an ague. The situation was most wild and romantic, hanging on the side of an immense ravine, but I would have exchanged its beauties for a blazing coal fire. The hut was the highest on the mountain, built of mud with no opening but the door and the cracks in the wall. Opposite the door was a figure of the Virgin, and on each side was a frame for a bed. On one of them my friend spread the bear's skin, and, tumbling me upon it, wrapped me up in the poncho. I had promised myself a social evening, but who can be sure of an hour of pleasure i was entirely unfit for use but my friends made me some hot tea the place was perfectly quiet and upon the whole i had as comfortable a chill and fever as i ever experienced before daylight we resumed our journey the road was rough and precipitous in one place a tornado had swept the mountain and the trees lay across the road so thickly as to make it almost impassable we were obliged to dismount and climb over some and creep under others beyond this we came into an open region where nothing but cedar and thorns grew and here i saw whortleberries for the first time in central america in that wild region there was a charm in seeing anything that was familiar to me at home and i should perhaps have become sentimental but they were hard and tasteless. As we rose, we entered a region of clouds. Very soon they became so thick that we could see nothing. The figures of our own party were barely distinguishable, and we lost all hope of any view from the top of the volcano. Grass still grew, and we ascended till we reached a belt of barren sand and lava, and here, to our great joy, WE EMERGED FROM THE REGION OF CLOUDS, AND SAW THE TOP OF THE VOLCANO WITHOUT A VAPOR UPON IT, SEEMING TO MINGLE WITH THE CLEAR BLUE SKY, AND AT THAT EARLY HOUR THE SUN WAS NOT HIGH ENOUGH TO PLAY UPON ITS TOP. MR. LAWRENCE, WHO HAD EXERTED HIMSELF IN WALKING, LAY DOWN TO REST, AND THE DOCTOR AND I WALKED ON. THE CRATER WAS ABOUT TWO MILES IN CIRCUMFERENCE. Rent and broken by time or some great convulsion the fragments stood high bare and grand as mountains and within were three or four smaller craters we ascended on the south side by a ridge running east and west till we reached a high point at which there was an immense gap in the crater impossible to cross the lofty point on which we stood was perfectly clear. The atmosphere was of transparent purity, and, looking beyond the region of desolation, below us, at a distance of perhaps two thousand feet, the whole country was covered with clouds, and the city at the foot of the volcano was invisible. By degrees the more distant clouds were lifted, and over the immense bed, we saw at the same moment the atlantic and pacific oceans this was the grand spectacle we had hoped but scarcely expected to behold my companions had ascended the volcano several times but on account of the clouds had only seen the two seas once before the points at which they were visible were the gulf of nicoya and the harbor of san juan not directly opposite, but nearly at right angles to each other, so that we saw them without turning the body. In a right line over the tops of the mountains, neither was more than twenty miles distant, and from the great height at which we stood, they seemed almost at our feet. It is the only point in the world which commands a view of the two seas, and I ranked the site with those most interesting occasions when from the top of mount sinai i looked out over the desert of arabia and from mount hor i saw the dead sea there is no history or tradition of the eruption of this volcano probably it took place long before the country was discovered by europeans this was one of the occasions in which i regretted the loss of my barometer as the height of the mountain has never been measured but is believed to be about eleven thousand feet we returned to our horses and found mr lawrence and the guide asleep we woke them kindled a fire made chocolate and descended in an hour we reached the hut at which we had slept and at two o'clock cartago toward evening i set out with mr Lovell for a stroll the streets were all alike long and straight and there was nobody in them we fell into one which seemed to have no end and at some distance were intercepted by a procession coming down a cross street it was headed by boys playing on violins and then came a small barrow tastefully decorated and strewed with flowers it was a bier carrying the body of a child to the cemetery we followed, and passing it at the gate, entered through a chapel at the door of which sat three or four men selling lottery tickets, one of whom asked us if we wished to see the grave of our countrymen. We assented, and he conducted us to the grave of a young American whom I had known by sight, and several members of whose family I knew personally. He died about a year before my visit, and his funeral was attended with mournful circumstances. The vicar refused him burial in consecrated ground. Dr. Brayley, who was the only European resident in Cartago, and at whose house he died, rode over to San Jose, and making a strong point of the treaty existing between the United States and Central America, obtained an order from the government for his burial in the cemetery. Still, the fanatic vicar, acting, as he said, under a higher power, refused. A messenger was sent to San Jose, and two companies of soldiers were ordered to the doctor's house to escort the body to the grave. At night, men were stationed at its side to watch that it was not dug up and thrown out, The next day the vicar with the cross and images of saints and all the emblems of the church and a large concourse of citizens moved in solemn procession to the cemetery and formally re-consecrated the ground which had been polluted by the burial of a heretic the grave is the third from the corridor in the corridor and in an honored place among the principal dead of cartago lay the body of another stranger an englishman named bailey the day before his death the alcalde was called in to draw his will who according to the customary form asked him if he was a christian mr bailey answered yes and the alcalde wrote him Catholico romano apostolico cristiano mr bailey himself did not contemplate this he knew the difficulty in the case of my countrymen about six months before and wishing to spare his friends a disagreeable and perhaps unsuccessful controversy had already indicated a particular tree under which he wished to be buried before the will was read to him he died his answer to the alcalde was considered evidence of his orthodoxy his friends did not interfere and he was buried under the special direction of the priests with all the holiest ceremonies of the church it was the greatest day ever known in cartago the funeral was attended by all the citizens the procession started from the door of the church headed by violins and drums PRIESTS FOLLOWED WITH ALL THE CROSSES, FIGURES OF SAINTS, AND BANNERS THAT HAD BEEN ACCUMULATED FROM THE FOUNDATION OF THE CITY. AT THE CORNERS OF THE PLAZA, AND OF ALL THE PRINCIPAL STREETS, THE PROCESSION STOPPED TO SING HALLELUJAHS TO REPRESENT THE JOY IN HEAVEN OVER A SINNER THAT REPENTS. WHILE STANDING IN THE CORRIDOR, WE SAW PASS THE MAN WHO HAD ACCOMPANIED THE bier, WITH THE CHILD IN HIS ARMS. He was its father, and, with a smile on his face, was carrying it to its grave. He was followed by two boys playing on violins, and others were laughing around. The child was dressed in white, with a wreath of roses around its head, and as it lay in its father's arms, it did not seem dead, but sleeping. The grave was not quite ready, and the boys sat on the heap of dirt thrown out, and played the violin till it was finished the father then laid the child carefully in its final resting-place with its head to the rising sun folded its little hands across its breast and closed its fingers around a small wooden crucifix and it seemed as they thought it was happy at escaping the troubles of an uncertain world there were no tears shed on the contrary all were cheerful AND THOUGH IT APPEARED HEARTLESS, IT WAS NOT BECAUSE THE FATHER DID NOT LOVE HIS CHILD, BUT BECAUSE HE AND ALL HIS FRIENDS HAD BEEN TAUGHT TO BELIEVE, AND WERE FIRM IN THE CONVICTION, THAT, TAKEN AWAY SO YOUNG, IT WAS TRANSFERRED IMMEDIATELY TO A BETTER WORLD. THE FATHER SPRINKLED A HANDFUL OF DIRT OVER ITS FACE. THE GRAVE-DIGGER TOOK HIS SHOVEL. IN A FEW MOMENTS THE LITTLE GRAVE WAS FILLED UP and preceded by the boy playing on his violin we all went away together the next morning with great regret i took leave of my kind friends and returned to san jose it is my misfortune to be the sport of other men's wives i lost the best servant i had in Guatemala, because his wife was afraid to trust him with me and on my return i found jesus at the convent waiting for me. While putting my things in order, without looking me in the face, he told me of the hardships his wife, La Povera, had suffered during his absence, and how difficult it was for a married woman to get along without her husband. I saw to what he was tending, and feeling particularly since the recurrence of my fever and ague, the importance of having a good servant in the long journey I had before me, with the selfishness of a traveller, I encouraged his vagabond propensities by telling him that in a few weeks he would be tired of home and would not have so good an opportunity of getting away. This seemed so sensible that he discontinued his hints and went off contented. At three o'clock I felt uncertain in regard to my chill, but determined not to give way dressed myself and went to dine with mr stiples before sitting down the blueness of my lips and a tendency to use superfluous syllables betrayed me and my old enemy shook me all the way back to the convent and into bed fever followed and i lay in bed all next day receiving many visits at the door and a few inside one of the latter was from jesus who returned stronger than before, and coming to the point, said that he himself was anxious to go with me, but his wife would not consent. I felt that if she had fairly taken the field against me, it was all over, but told him that he had made a contract, and was already overpaid, and sent her a pair of gold earrings to keep her quiet." For four days in succession I had a recurrence of chill and fever. Every kindness was shown to me in the convent. Friends visited me, and Dr. Brayley came over from Cartago to attend me. But withal, I was desponding. The day fixed for setting out with Alvarado arrived. It was impossible to go. Dr. Brayley advised me that it would be unwise, while any tendency to the disease remained, to undertake it. There were six days of desert traveling to the port of San Juan, without a house on the road, but mountains to cross and rivers to ford. The whole party was to go on foot except myself. Four extra men would be needed to pass my mule over some difficult places, and there was always more or less rain. San Juan was a collection of miserable shanties, and from that place it was necessary to embark in a bungo for 10 or 15 days on an unhealthy river. Besides all this, I had the alternative to return by the Cosmopolita to Zonzonate, or to go to Guatemala by land, a journey of 1,200 miles through a country destitute of accommodations for travelers and dangerous from the convulsions of civil war. At night, as I lay alone in the convent, and by the light of a small candle, saw the bats flying along the roof, I felt gloomy and would have been glad to be at home. Still, I could not bear the idea of losing all I came for. The land route lay along the coast of the Pacific, and for three days was the same as to the port. I determined to go by land but by the advice of Dr. Brayley, to start in time for the vessel, and in the hope that I would not have another chill, I bought two of the best mules in San Jose, one being that on which I had ascended the volcano of Cartago, and the other a macho, not more than half broke, but the finest animal I ever mounted. To return to Jesus, The morning after I gave him the earrings, he had not come, but sent word that he had the fever and ague. The next day he had it much worse, and satisfied that I must lose him, I sent him word that if he would procure me a good substitute, I would release him. This raised him from bed, and in the afternoon he came with his substitute. had very much the air of being the first man he had picked up in the street. His dress was a pair of cotton trousers, with a shirt outside, and a high, bell-crowned, narrow-brimmed, black straw hat, and all that he had in the world was on his back. His hair was cut very close except in front, where it hung in long locks over his face. In short, he was the beau-ideal of a Central American loafer. I did not like his looks, but I was at the time under the influence of fever and told him I could give him no answer. He came again the next day at a moment when I wanted some service, and by degrees, though I never hired him, he quietly engaged me as his master. The morning before I left, don augustin gutierrez called upon me and seeing this man at the door expressed his surprise telling me that he was the town blackguard a drunkard gambler robber and assassin that the first night on the road he would rob and perhaps murder me shortly after mr lawrence entered who told me that he had just heard the same thing i discharged him at once and apparently not much to his surprise though he still continued round the convent as he said in my employ it was very important for me to set out in time for the vessel and i had but that day to look out for another jesus was astonished at the changes time had made in the character of his friend he said that he had known him when a boy and had not seen him in many years till the day he brought him to me when he had stumbled upon him in the street. Not feeling perfectly released, after a great deal of running, he brought me another whose name was Nicholas. In any other country I should have called him a mulatto, but in Central America there are so many different shades that I am at a loss how to designate him. He was, by trade, a mason. Jesus had encountered him at his work and talked him into a desire to see guatemala and mexico and come back as rich as himself he presented himself just as he left his work with his shirt sleeves rolled up above his elbows and his trousers above his knees a rough diamond for a valet but he was honest and could take care of mules and make chocolate i did not ask for more he was married too and as his wife did not interfere with me i liked him the better for it in the afternoon being the last before i started in company with mr lawrence i visited the coffee plantations of don mariano montealegre it was a lovely situation and with great good taste don mariano lived there a great part of the year he was at his factory and his son mounted his horse and accompanied us It was a beautiful walk but in that country gentlemen never walk the cultivation of coffee on the plains of san jose has increased rapidly within a few years seven years before the whole crop was not more than 500 quintals and this year it was supposed that it would amount to more than ninety thousand don mariano was one of the largest planters and had three cafetals in that neighborhood. That which we visited contained 27,000 trees, and he was preparing to make great additions the next year. He had expended a large sum of money in buildings and machinery, and, though his countrymen said he would ruin himself, every year he planted more trees. His wife, La Senora, was busily engaged in superintending the details of husking and drying the grains. In San Jose, by the way, all the ladies were what might be called good businessmen, kept stores, bought and sold goods, looked out for bargains, and were particularly knowing in the article of coffee. End of section 22.